I thank God for uh, the, the talent and the gifts that we have throughout this body and congregation. Each of you, each one of you, are important in how God is working through us. And so I am so grateful. I'm going to ask if you'd stand with me because we've been talking about this idea of the greatest. And so if you'd stand and, and, and we have all these ideas of what greatness will look like. And, and yet Jesus said there's a path, there's a way to real greatness in the kingdom, in the place where God lives. And so we're going to say this together. The greatest among you will be your servant. And think about that for a second in your own life. The greatest among you will be a servant. In your home, as you're out and about, in the places you work, the school you attend. Greatness looks like one who serves. Let's pray this prayer together. Father, We come to you acknowledging that humility does not come naturally to us. By nature, we are proud, stubborn people and too often concerned only with our own needs. Teach us the ways of humility. Show us how to love genuinely. Help us be a people who seek to outdo one another in showing honor. And together we said, Amen. You may be seated. That prayer was sent to me from a mom in our church who was just kind of excited because we had started this series and and we were talking about greatness according to God and it was in a little booklet called The 20 Days of Prayer that she was praying with her child and that prayer that day was on humility and you prayed that. It's good to pray like little kids and that prayer is for all of us. You know, awareness is really an interesting thing. Developing awareness is really important is is you walk through life in all different kinds of ways. In fact, awareness is, is so important at times that they'll help us with awareness. If you look around, you'll see a bunch of these little signs that say exit as a way to make us aware of if in case something happens, you know, in a kind of sense, where you're at so where you can go to where you need to be. Uh, you see that all the time. And there's a sense, there's, there's something around awareness in this idea of greatness that is really important. I was driving the other day with my wife, just yesterday, and, and we were on our way to a place, and, and she said, I think, don't you think we should need to turn here? And I said, well, I think we'd turn at the next road. And she said, oh, oh, that's right. I just, I guess I wasn't paying attention. And immediately, you know what she did? She began to look at the street signs. and goes, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we can. And so she got her bearings. And there's two things about awareness. One is, Scripture makes it very clear. There's a time of recognition. And my prayer might be in this message at this time, maybe God will cause you to wake up to something, to become aware of something in your life that you need to pay attention to. Because in the Word of God, there's this call to awareness throughout the New Testament Scriptures specifically where he says things like live in the light or be sober. Wake up, O sleeper, writes Paul. Be alert, says Peter. Pay attention, James commands. At one point, Jesus looks out and he says, look, to get their attention. And as Jesus is coming to John the Baptist, John the Baptist says, behold, kind of open your eyes, look and see, pay attention. 
But beyond pay attention and alertness, there's this other aspect of not just recognition, okay, we need to be aware, and what God might be doing that through this message, and I pray he does. There's also what I call points of reference that are important, so that when we were driving along, my, my wife immediately stopped to get kind of a reference so she knew where she was at. So awareness has this sense of, as you develop it, this ability to go, okay, this is who I am and this is where I'm at. And if you have that, it helps you throughout life as you get kind of this map, and especially if you begin to start to say, God, I would like to place myself in that map in your kingdom so that, like Jesus says, I can do great things. And I can do great things for you. And so as I was preparing this message and thinking about it, and, and, and last week, um, I was so thrilled, Bruce went through the story of Moses, Right? And he kept talking about he's kind of a big deal. He's kind of a big deal. And, 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 and I really appreciate the fact that here is Bruce, our middle school pastor, who can get up and, and preach and teach as well as he can. And, and you as parents need to know what a wonderful thing to have someone who can communicate that well to our middle school youth. But as we were processing this series, I thought I wanted to do something on David. And David was a big deal. I mean, if Moses was a big deal... There is really, if you want to look in the Old Testament, there are three people in, in that Old Testament economy who were big deals. Around 2,000, if you want to kind of make a mental map timeline, around 2,000 came a guy named Abraham. He was a big deal. And then around 1,500 comes a guy named Moses. He was a big deal. And then around the year 1,000 before Jesus comes a guy named David. So you see these kind of three big deals. And, and as they come along, here comes David, and David is another person who, if you look at his life, he does great things because he understood that he was a servant, and he had developed in his life what I call not just an awareness and an alertness, but he had developed points of reference. And it's real important you have these points of awareness. I have to share with you, it, it, it's really helpful in lots of ways to be aware. You put cones sometimes out on the walkway when there's ice you don't want people to, to slip on. Because someone has done it. Or you, you have these road construction signs where there's these orange signs. Because if you, you don't have those there, sometimes people get hurt. The reason awareness is so important is because you can get hurt or someone else can get hurt. Or if you're a person who's a businessman, you do this all the time. You're looking at points of reference. How is our bottom line? Are these employees doing what we need to have done? Is the sales really matching up to anything of material um, growth here? You have all these kinds of points of awareness to kind of say, where are we? Who are we? And are we moving to where we want to go? And you need to pay attention because if you don't, something suffers. God knows that. And David was aware of that. He had what I call three points of reference in his life, throughout his life, that I think is important because you can see it in the life of Moses. You can really see it in the life of any person who does great things for God. And the very first point of reference that helped keep him really humble so he could do great things for God is what I call God awareness. He had this awareness of God in his life, not just once in a while, but throughout, every, throughout his, 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 his hours and days when he was living his life, he was aware of the fact and conscious in a sense of God's presence. It was an experiential kind of awareness. Now, I'm not just saying that everything he did, he always had God in his mind, but God was very close. There was this God awareness that kept him in a place of humility and dependency so that he could do great things for God. And I call this his true north. It's the thing that set everything else in place. 
It kept everything else in focus. It's like Jesus at one point when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. That's God's presence and rule in your life. And he says, everything else will be added to you. Everything else will come into its proper position and focus. So true north is, is kind of what is, is it marks... It's, it's, it's marked in our sky by the north celestial pole. So it's, it's out there somewhere. And, and so I thought maybe what would be important to do is just to get an idea of if you have a good sense of where true north is. So I'd like everyone to stand up for just a second again. Everyone just stand. And if you would, with your standing right where you're at, with your eyes closed, please close your eyes. No one looking around at all, okay? And be really careful now, but point to where you think true north is. Okay? Be really careful some of you, let's just see. Okay. Now, that's with your eyes closed, and your hands kind of reached out there, I want you to keep your hands up, and everybody's still pointing. Now, open your eyes and look around the room and see where people are pointing. Okay. Now, some of you are pointing like this. That's not fair. Okay? That's not true north. Okay? And there are a few of you who are feeling the tricky going like this. That's not good either. It's only one that counts. Okay. You can be seated. Um, For everyone who's wondering, north is actually that direction, okay? And, uh, and I know that because I used a compass <laughs> to make sure that I wasn't just relying on a hunch or feelings, because here's the point. Sometimes our feelings are not real accurate gauges of directional reality. They're not real accurate gauges of where we're at. In fact, um, an awareness requires an objective reference point like true north. Now, you may not believe this, but there are some people who, when they're driving, insist on following only their feelings, relying on a gut sense of direction. I don't know if you've ever done this with someone, and you know, they, they kind of base their turns on hunches and intuition. And in fact, they can get really stubborn about it, if you've ever been with them, as you're trying to say no. And they'll actually get lost rather than humble themselves and look for directions. And, and we have a word for this. Do you know what it is? Men. Right, exactly. It's <laughs> the right answer. In fact, I would have accepted dad, father, husband, or boyfriend. Now, what I love about David is that he learned at a very early age where his true north was. What it was that set a sense of his own, who he was and, 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 and where he was at. And it wasn't, it wasn't dependent on his feelings and even his intuition. And at a very young age, and I say this because some of you who are younger and, and in that age where you know, you're listening right now, what you, what you understand about God and the commitments you make to him at a young age are really, truly important. And parents, there's something about that. When you look at the life of David, he kind of knew this God awareness from a young age. In fact, he learned it as a child when he was sent out to watch the father's, you know, his flocks. He'd go out and David himself would be out there often. The brothers would be doing other things. And he was learning this reference point of God awareness as he would go out, he'd be at the flocks, he'd be at night, and he'd look up at the stars. There's something incredibly humbling about looking up at the stars. And he would contemplate the greatness of God. And in the, in the backdrop of this vast universe, he began, in a sense, every night to see his own smallness. He kind of saw his place. And, and we know this for uh, uh, the fact that it's true if you look at the Psalms. And you can just look at like the first one, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. And I'm one of them in a sense he's saying. The earth is the Lord's. 
and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, Psalm 24. You go look at Psalm 29, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood, and, and the flood in that day, what he meant by that is confusion and all the mess that's going on throughout the world, all the disruption, and the Lord is enthroned as king forever, and the Lord gives strength to his people, and the Lord blesses his people with peace. And go on to Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He, he has this picture of God that keeps him humble. But not only was it the stars that he looked at, you can read through scripture that he also, as he was out taking care of the flock, he reflected on how committed I think he was to these not-so-smart sheep. And he would reflect on his care for them and his wisdom and taking care of them. And then he would think about his God as the great shepherd. And I, this wasn't just in his head. He knew Old Testament scripture. He was aware of the fact that there was Moses and, and God led Moses and the not so smart sheep, the children of Israel, through a wilderness and provided for them and cared for them and protected them and, and guided them all the way through. So that you read in Psalm 23 his response as he looks at the sheep and he thinks of himself as a shepherd. He goes, the Lord's my shepherd. And I shall act nothing. Literally, in the Hebrew, it says, I shall experience nothing as missing. You cause me to rest in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. You restore me. You guide me. You protect me. You comfort me. You provide me. You anoint me. And you chase after me. I love this. You chase after me with goodness and mercy. I live with this awareness of my God. He's my true north. He, he is this objective standard that keeps me in line with regard to who he is and helps me understand so that you see humility reflected in his life because David is found, and we'll maybe look at this next week, praying. You'll find that David at times will wait on God. That takes humility, to wait on God because he knows that God is his true north and he's not going to go on his feelings. He's not going to go on his ambition. He's going to go when God says, Go. And not only does he learn to pray and to listen, and not only is he, he humble enough that he can wait till God says move, there's another thing about him. He's, he's also humble enough to be courageous, to do the things that he knows that he could never do in his own strength, but he does it because he knows his God, because he understands this thing. If God, says is who he, if, if God is who he says he is, and if God says this is who I am, then I can go in the confidence, not of myself, but in him. And so he lives with this kind of awareness. And not only did he get to know this God through looking at the stars and looking at the sheep and, and, and beginning to reflect on that, but it was a very experiential thing. He actually saw God work in his life. And one of the ways that God begins to fold humility into us and a sense of dependency on him is when you begin to see God work in your life when you come up against a crisis. He began to grow in his understanding because when he was with the sheep at times there would be a lion or a bear or a wolf that would come and David would go after it and be given strength by God. And we find that if you read 1 Samuel 17, which is the story about David coming to the, the Philistine camp, sent by his father to bring some lunch to his brothers. He comes there, he brings the lunch, and he sees this Philistine guy named Goliath. 
And in that time, in the Philistine um, uh, uh, cities where they lived, there was one called Gath, which had these giants that were there. And, and one of the ways they would have, one of the ground rules for fighting was instead of everyone fighting, they would send out one person. That was the way you would sometimes do a contest. So Goliath was sent out there and said, do you send one person out against me, winner take all. And so you see David comes on the scene with that, and it says, Goliath, a Philistine, a champion of Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to the face of the forces of Israel, and he was a giant of a man measuring over nine feet tall, and he wore a bronze helmet and 200-pound coat of mail, bronze leggings, and carried a bronze javelin several inches thick, tipped with a 25-pound iron spearhead. And his armor-bearer walked ahead of him with a huge shield. And I was sharing this in Ethiopia, way in the hinterlands, and they'd asked me to just make a real simple message, so I just told a story about David and Goliath. And when I got to that point, and they translated the 25-pound iron spearhead, they were still in that area. They were carrying boom boxes on their shoulders and spears in their hands. They were in the church. It was filled, and there were people outside of it looking in. And when I said that and they translated it, they just had a gasp. This is a big guy. And he stepped forth, Goliath did taunting and ridiculing the army of Israel. And as soon as they saw him, Israel's army began to run away in fright. And David shows up and goes, what's up, guys? And he finds out that if anyone would stand forward and take this big Goliath guy on, that he would get wealth, he'd get the king's daughter... And I love this, because the first two, you know, wealth, king's daughter, those are really good things. Here's the kicker. They put it at the end. And his whole family will be exempted from paying taxes. (laughs) Isn't that great? Doesn't change. Gets back to King Saul. Saul meets with David, and David says to King Saul, don't worry about a thing. This is the, the Living Bible translation. David told him, I'll take care of this, Philistine. And Saul says, don't be ridiculous. How can a kid like you fight a man like him? You're only a boy, and he's been in the army since he was a boy. And, and David hardly bats an eye. His heavenly father, his true north, his point of reference on the matter of all things he faced, not because of his feelings, not because of what he knew in himself he might be able to do, but based on the fact if God is who he says he is, and he is who God says he is, then if God is calling him to do something, he can stand and courageously, with humility, step out in faith and do what God's called him to do. And David persisted, when I am taking care of my father's sheep, he said, this is telling the king this, and a lion or a bear comes and grabs a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and take a lamb from its mouth. And if it turns on me, I, will, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this heathen Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God, and the Lord who saved me from the claws and teeth of the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. True North is his God, whom day after day he continues to look up at the skies and he sees this God who is incredibly great. And day after day he reflects on the fact that this God will love and provide and care for him and chases after him with goodness and mercy, even himself not so smart. 
And as he does these things and he takes care of the flock, he's, he's able to actually handle lions and bears and he experientially, as he has this relationship with God, and here's what I want to just really make clear. I want to ask you this question. Are you in a place where you are building the awareness of God in your life? And it comes through two things. It comes through having a vital relationship where you see God at work in your life, where you hear his voice because he's given you his Holy Spirit. And he wants you to be talking and walking with him throughout the day. But I have never seen anyone who lives that way without also being in the word of God because the word of God gives you a sense of the standard and the substance and gives you that objective sense of true north so that when your feelings come up, you begin to discern what really is God and what will God do through you. Is God calling you to step out in some area of your life where you're just going, you know what, this is too scary. And you feel your feelings or you feel um, maybe you're still basing your true north on what your parents had said about you. Or you're basing your true north on maybe a comment, a coach, or something a teacher said, or some experience you had in your life. And God is saying, no, just put your faith in me. If I am who I say I am, and you are who I say you are, then I want you to go and to step out in the confidence of who I am and what you are. So, there's a second reference point that's really important. It's not just an awareness of God, this God awareness. There's a second thing that is very important for a person who grows into greatness in, in God's economy, and it's what I call self-awareness. Self-awareness. Um, this man, Brooks, writes in the, this book, The Road to Character, he says, Today, many of us see our life through the metaphor of a journey, a journey through the external world and up the ladder of success. When we think about making a difference or leading a life with purpose, we often think of achieving something external, outside ourselves, Performing some service that will have an impact on the world, creating a successful company, or doing something for the community. And then he writes, truly humble people who achieve great things, whether raising a family, serving behind the scenes, or teaching faithfully in a classroom, you can name a number of other ones, also use that journey metaphor to describe their lives, something external. But they also use alongside it another metaphor of self-confrontation. I would call it self-awareness. They are more likely to assume that we are all, this is what he says, so they're out here in the external, they look inward, and he says they are more likely to assume that we are all deeply divided selves, both splendidly endowed and deeply flawed, and that we each have certain talents, but we also have certain weaknesses. And if we don't habitually fall for those temptations, we do not struggle against those weaknesses in ourselves, it's important that we stay in touch with those inner weaknesses that could actually trip us up and cause us to fall. If we don't, he says, we'll fail in some profound way. And David, as a child, looking up at God, also got this understanding of himself. He saw important this this whole metaphor of self-awareness, self-examination, self-confrontation was. If you look at uh, Psalm 8, David sees himself in this way. He says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set glory 
above the heavens. And when I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place. So he's looking up this. And he says, what is man? Here I am, that you would be mindful, that you would remember, that you would pay attention, that you would be aware of him. You made him ruler over the works of your hand. You put everything under his feet. Because David knew God and his word, and he was self-aware, and he, he knew that he wasn't God, and yet he also knew he wasn't some kind of primordial cell that dug himself out of some slop somewhere. He was divinely created by God, given his image and his breath. And so my question is for you to think about it. Are you aware how fearfully and wonderfully you are made? There is a side that is... God, just, how could you be mindful, but yet you've made us to rule, to, to have a choice, to live out our, our life responsibly. And yet David also knew the, the need to look into his heart to see the weaknesses of his life. And that was very important. In fact, this a book by Brooks, one of the things he says in our age today, what he calls the big me, is most people in the big me are only looking externally. They don't look in internally. They have not much to do with the weaknesses of their life. And he said, and if you look at David, he He searches his heart. He says, God, help me to know myself. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Would you look inside me and help me see if there's any offensive way? Self-awareness is this sense of not only putting yourself in a place where you see God and are aware of him and you're experientially in relationship with him, but you are also taking time to stop and to look into your own heart and say, God, what are the motives that are, are, are going on right now? What are the things in me that could trip up my, my relationship with someone I deeply love? My family. Self-awareness is incredibly important as another point of reference. God-awareness gives you a sense of who God is and and he tells us who we are, but self-awareness helps us in daily life where we begin to start looking at ourselves so we can say, God, what is it that I need to pay attention to? Is there self-pity? Do I have this need for attention? Is is there a sense where I am, am jealous? What is it in me? Because I recognize, although I'm I'm made with these incredible talents and, and endowed by you, but I'm also a sinner who needs to be saved by you. Now, self-awareness and God-awareness, if you combine those things together, really help create humility. Those two things are essential to humility. It's about seeing yourself as you truly are. I want you to understand this. Humility is not being a doormat. We have this false view of, of what humble looks like. Someone who is walked over, who always is just obsequious and, oh yes, whatever you say. Humility isn't that. I remember when I was struggling with this early in my ministry, and once in a while I would actually have a really good sermon. And, and when I'd have one of those, I'd stand at the back in those days and shake people's hands. They could only get out through one way. And some people would say, wow, that was really good. And I had a struggle trying to receive the compliment. And, and, and inside, I go, oh, no, no, it wasn't that good. You know, there was just, you ever had that kind of thing? See, humble people don't do that. Humble people are aware of the fact that they have certain gifts and abilities, and they're really grateful for them, but they know who is the one who has the ability to make that ability work. Humble people just go, well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm glad that really ministered to you. 
There's just a real stance of you're not some kind of doormat. You're not kind of just trying to lay down and look like, oh, man, I know I'm nothing. I'm really rotten. I'm not that good. It's not like that at all. There's this self-awareness, understanding how you've been endowed by God and, and, and also your weaknesses, along with God-awareness of who he is and walking with him, puts you in this place where you have an understanding of who you are and where you're at so that you can be used of God. So if God is who he says he is and you are who God says you are, then you can fulfill your life and the things he's calling you to do with confidence because you know it's God. Sometimes people will look at your confidence that is rooted in God awareness and self-awareness and they're going to think it's arrogance. They're going to, they're going to look at that and they're going to, people who are insecure and jealous or they're unaware, they don't have a God awareness or a self-awareness in their own life. They'll, they, they don't have that reference point. They will see your security and your confidence and they'll say, oh, what a, yeah, you know them, they're so proud. But I think this is really interesting. If you go back to that same passage in 1 Samuel verse, chapter 17, verses 26 through 28, you'll see that humility is basically just a healthy sense of self-awareness. David talked to some of those standing around to, test, to verify the report. It says in verse 26, What will a man get for killing this Philistine and, and ending his insults to Israel? And he asked them, And who is this Phil, heathen Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And he received the same replies before. They kept telling him, Yep, you know, a lot of wealth, king's daughter, and no taxes. And then in verse 28, But when David's oldest brother, catch this, Eliab, heard David talking like that, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about the sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know what a cocky brat you are. You just want to see the battle. Or the NIV puts it this way, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Here's this guy who is the older brother who really has both the conceited and the wicked heart. He, he is projecting all that into David. Here is David just standing humbly before God, aware of the fact that he can't do it in his own, but God did give him the ability to sling a stone. And he'd seen God work in his life before. And in complete humility and self-awareness, aware of God, he goes, I can, God's calling me to do this, I'm going to do this. And, and it looks to Eliab like, hey, look at this arrogant little kid has no awareness that dad sent him I have to tell you sometimes you need to be careful sometimes humility when it's dressed in the confidence of who God is and awareness of who you are people are going to look at it and go hey look at that just is cocky I would bet if you met with most of the, the people of God who did great things for God they wouldn't look like doormats they'd look pretty strong and pretty confident Because it wasn't in themselves, it was in God with an awareness of who God made them to be. Now, with these two reference points, there is a third reference point that is really important as well. Because we all have this huge capacity for self-deception. You know what I mean? Quit jabbing your husband or your friend, whoever. Thomas Gilovich, professor of psychology at Cornell University, surveyed 1 million high school seniors. 70% of them thought they were above average in leadership ability. In terms of getting along with others, all students thought they were above average. 60% thought they were in the top 10%, and 25% thought they were in the top 1%. And the author writes, it might be tempting for us adults to explain this as arrogance of the youth and extravagance of the Y generation, but Gilovich researched also college professors and found that 94% of college professors think they too are doing a better than average job. And so he 
kind of concludes and says, concludes and says, it is a fact of our nature, it seems that most of us have a grossly exaggerated sense of our own abilities. That's why he brings good friends into your life, I hope. That's why you, if you're married, know how important it is to have that third, what I call other awareness reference point. You need someone who can stand beside you and take an objective stance. They need what I call objective distance. They need to be not you. And David was aware that he needed help from others to gain focus. In fact, you see in his life at one point when he can't even see what he's doing, here comes along his good friend Jonathan. David had been told that he would be the next king. Samuel came to him when he was out in the field, brought him in front of all the brothers and said, you're going to be the next king, and then goes away. David begins to pray about it, and he senses this destiny in his heart. He's sent with his dad with the food. He comes to that place, and I think when he comes there, he's thinking to himself, you know what, God's hand's on my life. And God's putting this desire in me to stand up to this Goliath, and he follows through, and he does that. Because in his mind, he has this promise of God, he's going to live it out. And he does that, and David slays Goliath, and then becomes one of their greatest military leaders. And they're singing songs about him that go, Saul the king slays thousands, but David slays tens of thousands. And, And you get this picture of Saul getting more and more jealous and eventually he brings David in, who's also an incredible musician. He, David's playing the guitar for him, and, and it soothes Saul's jealousy. But at times, the jealousy would rise, a spirit would come up in him, and he would take a spear and he'd throw it at David, and David would move out of the way. That happened a couple of different times, until Jonathan comes to David and says, David, I, I don't think you see what could happen to you. I'm standing with objective distance. If you don't get out of here... One of these days, this, this spear is going to kill you. And David goes, no, no, but I'm going to be the king. And his friend probably said, maybe God has a different route. Maybe it's not coming up through the ranks. Maybe God will do it in a different way, which causes David to run into the wilderness. You need someone around you that you can trust, that can look into your life and say, you know what? I get that. I hear that. But maybe... With your God awareness and self-awareness, you need another awareness. Because even in David's life, a little bit later, when he has a sin against Bathsheba, where he's now unwilling to admit something in his heart to see it, a prophet Nathan comes to him, who is an objective distance, who stands beside him and says, David, you have done this deed of adultery using this incredible story, and David falls on his knees in humility and says, I did. And there may be someone in your life right now who is pointing out something in your heart of pride or an action of sin, and and they're saying, you you know what, stop. It's going to hurt you. And it may be that God is putting up the warning sign right now to alert you to say, Father, I just submit to you, I hear your word through someone else who truly loves me. I'm going to ask the team, we're going to sing a song here in a second, but I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. And I just want you to privately just come before the Lord and and there may be, like I said, I don't know, there's somewhere along the line there was maybe this awareness, recognition piece where God sort of flashing, pay attention, you need to be alert to this. It may be that you're not 
you're living on your feelings, you're living on what someone else has said in your past, and you need to spend time on a regular basis in God's word. You need to begin to soak yourself in the truth. You need to take time to worship him. You need to put yourself in a position where you can allow him to form in you who he says you are. Or it may be that you're not taking time to really look at the things that could trip you up. And you're not serious about taking action against those things. Or it may be there's someone outside you that is saying, guess what? I love you so much that the next step could be one that causes great pain. We're going to sing a song that just says, make me a servant, God. Make me someone who is humble and true that I might follow you. Let's stand together as we sing this chorus. Mm -hmm.